The Astrea Trilogy Written and read by Seymour Hamilton Book Two The Men of the Sea Chapter Two In Which Lindy Returns to the Inn Someone grabbed Lindy by one arm and slung her across the rain-slick wharf. She staggered backwards into the wall and sat down hard. Her right hand automatically reached for her staff, but she had left it at the inn. She scrambled to her feet in time to see a sailor disappear over the edge of the dock. Almost immediately a sail climbed the mast of the boat, its hull out of sight on the water below. She ran towards the flapping canvas. Enough light came from the inn's windows for her to see where the wharf ended, but not enough to stop her from tripping after only a couple of strides. For the second time she landed painfully. On bruised hands and knees she crawled to the edge and peered into the darkness. Rising and falling on the waves below the dock, she saw dim shapes of men struggling to get their boat under way. The sea sucked and sloshed, sails flapped, and through the clamour she heard shouted orders made incomprehensible by the wind. Hey! Come back! I'm still here! None of the men even looked up. The sails filled and the boat gathered way so swiftly that in a heartbeat it was too far from the dock to even consider jumping. She yelled after them, but if they heard, they ignored her. She stood up cautiously, her clothes tugged by wind. When she stepped back from the edge of the dock, her foot brushed what had tripped her a few moments earlier, and she looked down at Astrea's boots. "'You bastards! You tricked us! You never meant me to come to!' Her voice fell, but her anger remained. "'It was Walt who betrayed us!' Snatching up Astrea's boots, she strode toward the inn, yanked the door open, and almost fell down the steps inside. As she stood blinking in the light, the first thing she saw was Walt's misshapen body below her. "'So you decided not to go with—' Walt's voice rumbled and then stopped abruptly, as Lindy swung the boots in a roundhouse blow at his head. He ducked just in time, and as he did, a glimpse of green light shone through the sleeve of her shirt. "'You rotten little man! You turd! You sold us out! How much did you get?' "'I got nothing from them, and, and nothing from your young lad, neither. So afore you take another shot at me head—' "'Then why did you tell that black-clad bastard that we were—' "'Cause he asked me for the lad by his name. The same name you called him when we had that little tussle upstairs. Give or take a bit of an accent. They said they had business with Astrea. And I knew he had to be one of them, cause nobody else is that quick.' He's not. That is, he wasn't. I mean— Lindy's voice faded in uncharacteristic confusion. How's about we don't stand here arguing? We're attracting attention from the custom. Come on into the galley. He waved her ahead of him toward the back of the room. Lindy made her way around the tables, most of them empty. The few remaining men in the tap-room bent studiously over their food and drink, contriving to watch with covert glances. Walt pushed open a door scarred by many boots that had kicked it when hands were occupied with plates and mugs. At first Lindy could see nothing more than the outline of a work-table, silhouetted by low flames from a big fireplace. As her eyes adjusted, she saw bulbous iron pots ranged along the shin-high hearth, a pair of them suspended above the fire on iron gates. A confusion of smells filled the kitchen, which she soon traced to their origins. 
fish chowder in one of the pots, a haunch of roast pork on the work-table dimly lit by the stump of a beeswax candle, sage and onions hanging in bunches from the dim rafters overhead, and behind it all a richly unpleasant smell that made her wrinkle her nose in disgust. "'Over here,' said Walt, leading her to a couple of wooden chairs to one side of the fire. "'You're all worked up, and you need to sit down.' "'All worked up? All worked up? I just saw Australia getting kidnapped by sea-raiders. Apart from relatives, and a man old enough to be my father, he's the only male person I've ever cared for. Yes, you could say that I'm worked up. I'm so angry I could—' Walt interrupted with a wry grin. "'Well, then, I suppose this means I don't have much of a chance for you.' He winked with an elaborate grimace. Lindy stared down into his upturned face, as, still grinning, he got aboard his chair with a little backwards hop. Lindy frowned, decided that it was best to interpret his words as humour, and with something between a gasp and a laugh, sat down. The flickering firelight alternately shadowed and lit his face, leaving his strange body in shadows. Their heads were now at a level, his turned a little to one side, so that he looked at her more out of one eye than the other. From this angle his heavy brows no longer obscured his deep-set brown eyes. There was something familiar about the lines of his face, and as his eyes held hers she saw his expression as something between apologetic and curious. "'You care for him?' She blinked repeatedly as tears flooded her eyes, and then rubbed them away with the back of her hand. "'Smoke from the fire.' "'Sure it is.' "'And it stinks.' You've not emptied out your slops in a week. Could be. I'm working the place single-handed since my cook scarpered. That was your chowder we ate? You liked it? Mm, yes, but you boiled it too long, and it could use less milk, more onion, and pepper. You think? She nodded. They looked at each other in silence. Lindy sniffed. And celery? It's an idea. Now then, stay here till I come back. I'm off to see if me customs want in a last one to keep the weather out on their way home, and after that I've got to see them through the door. He slid off the chair, his feet thudding onto the wooden floor. Lindy had no difficulty looking over the top of his curly hair as he made his way across the kitchen. At the door of the tap-room he turned. Don't go away. I'll bring your stuff when I come back. Lindy sniffed. She turned her chair closer to the fire, shut her eyes, and felt its warmth on her face. She leaned closer, and her lips shaped unspoken words as she recalled fleeting memories of incomplete moments. The unfulfilled promise of kissing Astraea, Gar's dying regret that he had left so much unsaid, the night of shared grief on the flight from the castle, the unfolding moment upstairs here at the black sheep that had been cut short by the arrival of the men of the sea, the realization that Astraea was aboard the boat that had been swallowed by the night. She stared into the glowing red embers, and a weaseling thought prowled across the back of her mind. Perhaps Astraea had wanted Adramin to leave her behind. The thought hurt worse than the possibility that she would never see him again, because if it were true it meant that he didn't care. Rather than fall into hopelessness, she stood up and wandered around the kitchen. 
She chose one of a handful of straws from a clay pot on the hearth, lit it at the fire, carried the flame to a lamp that stood on the table, and by its light started to clear and clean. She moved automatically, without thought, sensing similarities and differences between this kitchen and the one in which she had grown up. From time to time she found herself standing still, puzzling where to find this or where to put that. But as she wandered about, she let each object she held find its place, allowing her hands to locate the right spot. She wondered vaguely how and why this should be happening so successfully, until a sharp pain in her shin made her look down. Heavy benches stood close to the table and below the shelves on the walls. Because they were all at about the same height as the hearth of the fire, she had not noticed them before. She paused, and then decided that they allowed Walt to work in the kitchen as, and possibly with, a normally sized person. After that understanding replaced intuition and she was able to admire the ingenuity with which the innkeeper had adapted the room to his needs. Eventually she addressed herself to the food on the table. The kitchen door slammed open behind her. She swung around, startled. Whoa! No need for that! Lindy looked down at her hand, which was holding the knife she'd been using to trim the roast pork, and then towards Walt's squat body in the doorway, carrying her staff. One end was on the floor. The other stood two handspans higher than his head. She laid the knife down beside the roast. Uh, that's better. Now, since you don't fancy me chowder, try some of this here. He held up two small mugs, leaned the staff beside the door frame, and strode in his rolling gait to the fire. He stuck the poker into the coals, and when Lindy made her way back to the chair in which she had been sitting, he plunged the heated metal into the mugs. Steam rose, and with it a spicy smell. "'It'll warm your innards,' Lindy sipped cautiously, then with appreciation. "'Applejack. Whiskey. Honey. And cloves. Now then, we need to reckon up what's right.' Lindy reached into her pocket for the little money-bag, and held it in her cupped hand. Uh, "'That's not quite what I had in mind.' Lindy's eyes flickered from him to her staff. No, and that's not what I meant, neither. One corner of his mouth twitched. He settled his feet on the hearth, straightened his massive knees, and balanced on the back legs of his chair. He took a sip from his mug, and with a gesture encouraged her to do the same. I'm thinking there's a few things you'll be needing. First, somewhere to sleep tonight that's warm, dry, and safe. Next, a place where you can decide where you're going to next. Third, something to do while you're making up your mind on how you'll live without that black-haired lad you come with. He's not coming back, is he? There was a silence in which they both sipped their drinks. You never know. It's not the first time I've seen men of the sea in me pub, but I wouldn't want to have you hold your breath waiting. In the tap-room a chair scraped, and Walt's feet hit the floor with a thud. One last drunk to send on his way. You can use the same room tonight. If in you stay, I'll show you another that's right for one. Lindy rose slowly and followed him, pausing to pick up her staff. On her way across the tap-room to the stairs, now almost in darkness save for a flickering lamp in the narrow hall above, she heard the indoor slam behind her, followed by the thump of a heavy bolt shot into the door-frame. She found the room, let herself in, and fastened the door behind her. 
The lamp that had lit Astraea's meeting with Adramin and his men was still burning. As she undressed, she revisited in memory the moment when she had encouraged Astraea to accept Adramin's offer, wondering as she blew out the lamp whether there would have been any difference if she had tried to stop him. She was too exhausted to consider the possibility, although it stuck to her mind like a burr. She climbed into one of the high beds set under the eaves, lay down and pulled the blankets around her. As she did so, the bracelet on her arm flared, illuminating the bedclothes with green light. Astraea! Her arm tingled as the light pulsed once, and then two heartbeats later, twice, and then a third time, and then dimmed to a soft glow. Holding her arm across her chest, she stared at the white spear of light in the centre of the green stone, trying to make it obey her mind. For as long as she willed it to respond, holding her breath in an effort to concentrate, it did not change. But when she sighed, almost ready to give up, the white spear flickered. Astraea! The white spear pulsed. Lindy counted to four, exhaled, and the light pulsed a second time. Once more she counted and sighed. Another pulse. She had done it. She sat staring fixedly at the bracelet until, despite herself, she sagged back against the pillows. Pulling the blankets up so that her arm was still visible, she stared at the green stone until her eyes closed. You have been listening to the Astraea Trilogy, Book Two, The Men of the Sea, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit astreatrilogy.com for more about Astraea's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.